Very special. Good morning. If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors at Adventure. I'm excited about today's speaker, uh, my colleague and friend, um, whom I share the same alma mater. We both went to school at a great uh, preacher's school in Joplin, Missouri, and he is a gifted communicator. His name's Barry Smith. He's here to continue our series on Fear Not. That's what the angel said at every announcement in the Christmas narrative, fear not. And last week we talked about, hey, fear not. You fear because you're putting your trust in someone or something else besides God. Today, Barry's going to talk about fearing not what God is asking you to do. Is God asking you to do anything this a month that's got you petrified. Maybe it's some of the cousins you're having over uh, for Christmas. Don't know. But regardless, would you welcome my friend and fellow pastor, Barry Smith? Thank you. Well, it's good to see you all. How are you? Merry Christmas. It's still early. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Hey, I love boating. I've mentioned that to you before. Anybody else love to go boating on a boat? Anybody else had a boat before? You've owned a boat? Cruises. Well, that's a little different than the kind of boating I'm talking about. <laughs> but I really like those too. Those are really 25, 35 miles. Nothing like, if, you, if you've been out on a boat, there's just nothing like cruising along at 25, 35 miles an hour and the wind's blowing in your hair and the sun is beating down. And, and if you've ever owned a boat, you know what it's really like. It's like taking dollar bills, y'all, and just throwing them in the air as you're going because it's just a waste of money. But it's so good. I just love it. Well, I graduated college, and out of college, I did what most college students did, besides partying. I moved back home with my parents, and they lived in Florida, and uh, don't judge, I moved, they lived in Florida on the water, and it was fantastic. I, I absolutely loved, loved that place, and they lived where Peace, the Peace River met the Charlotte Harbor. We were right there where that is, and the Charlotte Harbor went right into the Gulf of Mexico, so within an hour or so, I could be in the Gulf of Mexico, depending on how, how fast we drove, and so I bought a brand new 18-foot open bow Maxim boat with a 90 horsepower engine. I, I mentioned that a few months ago if, if you were here. But as that boat got a little bit older, occasionally it was hard to start. And when it was hard to start, you'd, you'd just rrr, 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 and then rrr, 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 and the battery was dead. And, and listen, I know my boat. And when the battery was dead and that boat was dead, it was done. And the only way that you could get that boat to start again was to get it jumped. I had done it, sadly, I had done it enough times and it had not started enough times that when that battery was dead, the boat's done, you have to get a jump or a new battery. That's probably what I should have done, but I, I, I didn't. And so I was 23-ish and I was working uh, in ministry. I wasn't, I was working at a bank, but I was involved in ministry at a local church, a Christian church there in uh, Florida, and the youth pastor discipled me. I was one of his youth staff, youth coaches, youth volunteers, and he was great. He spent so much time with me, and he really helped me out. And so I decided to thank him by taking him out on a boat ride. We would go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, it wasn't dangerous, but it was very wavy that day, okay? So as long as it was like this, it was okay. It was when they started coming over the top on an 18-foot open bow boat that it could get dangerous. And so we fished. It didn't catch anything, and I thought, you know, we, we need to get back before the afternoon storms hit in southwest Florida because they hit most every afternoon and they're very dangerous. They're, they're, uh, it's kind of big stuff. And so I got the boat and done. I know my boat. We're done. 
We're done. We're sunk until we get a jump, pun intended. Um, we, we've got to do something. I, I, I see there's one boat that's, that's within like earshot of us, eyesight of us. Let's honk the horn. The battery's dead. So there's no honking of the horn. Uh, and, and so I got, I got pretty panicked. We're going to die out here is what I'm thinking. And my pastor basically, my youth pastor just didn't show much concern. And, and I'm like, this is, this is really bad, like catastrophically bad. And he said, why don't we just pray? Like, really? Really? Now I'm a newly recommitted Christian. Okay. I'd, I'd been away from God and the church for quite some time in high school and college. We should just pray. I know God is God and all, and I, I know he can do all that, but prayer isn't going to help, friend. We, we have to get a jump or we got to get towed, and the only boat out here is starting to leave. This is a waste of time. So after wrestling with God, I said, okay, let's, let's pray. And, and so he prayed some simple lame prayer. You know, God, we, we need your help, and we love you, and we trust you, and we just want you to start the boat. Amen. And I mean, like, that was it. It wasn't even like powerful. It wasn't even like, God of the oceans and the land. And it was just, hey, we need some help. Would you help us out? And I'm guessing the youth pastor saw some panic in me. But he was led by God to just ask God to simply start the, the boat, which was a bold move for a newly recommitted Christian. Right? He, he, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty bold, but he followed God's lead, and he asked me, hey, could we just pray? Well, last week, we talked about the fear of dealing with what people think about us, and I'm guessing that my youth pastor, when he asked if we could pray, he might have been a little concerned about what that might have looked like to him, because I certainly thought he was <laughs> crazy, or what that might have looked like to God if the boat didn't start, because it wasn't going to start. I, I know my boat. It's not going to start. Don't you hate it when God asks you to do stuff that you know can't happen? Like you just know this, that's an impossibility. We don't even want to hear him ask stuff like that because he might ask us to do something crazy like null, and we trust God and all, you know, just something that's completely obscure. I mean, we love God and all, and we trust God and all, right? Yes or yes? Yeah, of course we do. But what if the economy takes a dump? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if someone I love gets cancer? Or what if I never get married? Or what if I marry a jerk? Or what if I marry a jerk and we have kids who look like the jerk and then I'm eternally reminded that I married a jerk? (laughs) Fear of God's leading can consume us. We just get so scared. We get so fearful about it to the point where we don't listen. Or maybe worse than that, we hear, but then we don't obey. We can get so overly, easily overtaken by fear that it becomes almost irrational. My son just started driving by himself about six months ago. And my wife, bless her heart, she's not in the service, so I can say this. She has the temptation to hover a little bit over her kids. She loves them. She's, she's doing better, but she hovers a little bit. So my son's name's Max, and he's supposed to text before he leaves and after he arrives, wherever he's going. We give him some freedoms that way, but that's what he's supposed to do. And when he doesn't text, when he gets to his destination, then my wife gets a little concerned. And then he still doesn't text, and then she starts thinking, he should have been there by now. I, I wonder what happened. Uh, did he have 
have an accident? Was he, is he in a wreck? Or, or even worse than that, maybe he's being abducted and he's thrown into the back of the trunk of a car? Or is he drowning in, in quicksand? Uh, what's happening? And it's just kind of irrational because all this stuff happens. That's what a mom thinks when a kid doesn't check in. So kids, check in with your parents. Fear kicks into high gear, and if, so if you get nothing else, get what you got last week, this week too. We fear because we're putting our trust in someone or something other than God. That's really where that fear emulates, where it starts, where it's birth. The good news is, according to 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Otherwise, God doesn't give cowardice gifts or fear or timidity. Otherwise, we'd fall under the pressures of life and we'd fall under the pressures of faith. But instead, he gives us power and he gives us love and he gives us self-discipline. So I want us to consider, though, and ask this question. I put it on the screen. Why are we so afraid of God's plans? He's God and he loves us. But we, if we're honest, we can get kind of fearful of it. I'm guessing if I ask that, and we could list probably a hundred reasons, but I just want to focus on two, particularly in light of our text today, Mary's incredibly uh, amazing story. The first one is, one of the reasons is that God's interruptions are often inconvenient. That's an understatement, isn't it? God's interruptions are often inconvenient. They were certainly inconvenient for Mary. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll spend a little bit of time there. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke 1 verse 26 says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, you know the rest of the story, but if you're Mary and you don't, this is, this is pretty big. Now, Elizabeth is Mary's relative, and she's on her own miraculous birth because she was way, way too old, not judging, but way too old to have a child. And she's in her sixth month getting ready to birth John the Baptist. So this angel by the name of Gabriel comes up to Mary and says, hey, Mary, highly favored one. Now, we think about the, either the cute little cupids or the chubby little angels. Or the, but angels were really more like fierce, warlike creatures that could strike an entire nation down at God's command. Just boom! But they could be real gentle to protect a baby, too. So I would be concerned, too, if, if an angel showed up to me that looked like probably what these angels looked like and not like the fairy tale angels that we think of. She's probably 14, 15. She might be 16. We're not exactly sure. We can infer it because when a, when a girl be, got into puberty or just thereafter, she was typically betrothed or pledged to be married to a man. And so you picture the scene here. She's excited about her impending marriage. She's gone on Pinterest and picked out all sorts of creative ideas for the wedding. And she's subscribed to Bride Magazine a couple of months. So she's got the itinerary all planned out. But the angel comes and interrupts her plans with an incredibly inconvenient way compared to how she's planned it out. But interruptions are God's invitations. Did you get that? Those are times, there are times when we feel like when God is interrupting us, that it feels like a roadblock. Sometimes it even feels like a curse. 
But often God is inviting us to something higher, to something bigger, to something better than we could have ever planned. And that's what God did with Moses. Moses is in his status quo life. And then he's interrupted by God with a burning bush. And he ends up freeing all the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. We could talk about Jonah and getting interrupted by an enormous fish going back to Nineveh and leads a national revival without even hardly trying. And then we look at the Apostle Paul who got interrupted by a blinding light. Literally for three days he was blinded. Talk about inconvenient. And then he goes and writes most of the New Testament or much of it and starts a church planting movement that changed the world. God interrupted their plans with an invitation to do something better, something extraordinary. And he might want to do the same thing for you. But we get tempted to blow off interruptions because they're incredibly inconvenient. If we could consider what what we call interruptions as God's invitations, then God might take us somewhere new, somewhere better, somewhere extraordinary, somewhere that we couldn't have predicted or planned on our own. Some of you weren't churchgoers, and you weren't very religious. And then you got interrupted by a friend who invited you to this church or to a church, but particularly this one, and you said no, and you resisted it, and they kept inviting you and kept interrupting you. And you finally, out of obligation or guilt or whatever, you finally said, okay, I'll go to your stinking church. And you show up here and you met Jesus and your life's never been the same. It's an interruption. And then you, you're here and you hear of a need up in the, hey, hey, the church has a need over here. And you think to yourself, hey, I could do that, but I don't have the time. And all of a sudden you find yourself signing up. And you're thinking, why am I doing this? I don't have the time. And then you find yourself in youth ministry and that hour is the greatest hour of your week. And it's all because God interrupted you. And you finally said yes. Angel appears to a little girl, interrupts her plans, and says, I've got something different for you. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Don't be afraid of the interruption, Mary. It looks like bad news, but it's not. You're favored by God. And Mary's thinking, I've already said yes to the dress. I know, Mary, but God's favor is an invitation to do something even better. Then the angel reveals the plan in verse 31. You you will conceive... And give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You're going to give birth to the Son of God, and his name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And Mary is swept back and forth with emotions on this roller coaster, and she just, as God interrupts her big time, she's thinking, this is amazing. I'm, I'm chosen by God to, to, be the, to, to birth the Savior of the world. This is amazing. But holy cow, what are people going to think about me having this baby out of wedlock? What's Joseph going to think about me? This pregnancy was obviously out of wedlock, and I, I could face death over this. And then I've got to have the conversation with Joseph. And Hey, Joe, why don't you sit down for a second? Um... I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost. I mean, how's that conversation going to go? This is an amazingly dangerous invitation for Mary, which brings us to another reason why we fear. The second one that I want to talk about, what God is asking us to do, and that's number two, that God's purpose is often different than our plans. 
We've got plans and they're not necessarily bad. But God's purpose is sometimes different. God's purpose was way, way different than Mary and her plans at this point. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's purposes are higher than ours, and his thoughts are higher than ours, and his ways are higher than ours. And so when God interrupts you with an invitation, you may be tempted to think that he's crazy, and he may alter your family plans. He may alter your financial plans. He may alter your educational plans, your vocational plans, your health plans. And you'll think, why is God doing this to me? How bad can my luck be? God, why me? You've probably been there before, but it can bring you closer to God and stir up a love in your heart that you never imagined could have been there before because his purposes may be different than your plans. You might lose a job. You might not be able to pay bills, and all of a sudden you may find, might find yourself with no other options. But years later, you're going to look back and think, how good, how good was God in the midst of that? How great that God allowed that to happen. How awesome that God caused that to happen. You think about some people that you didn't marry, that you didn't marry, and how off they are now. And you're going, wow, thank you, God. But it hurt in the middle of it, right? That breakup crushed your heart. You, you had a plan, and you had a plan with this person, and it was going really well, and you had hopes for the relationship, and then maybe God is the one who fouled it up to bless you. He wants to give you hope and prosper you, not to harm you. He's got plans to bless you. He wants to give you hope and a future, but often that harm and provision that we see comes by way of invitations. We see them as interruptions, but, but we even see them also as inconveniences when they're really not. God wants something more for you, something better for you, something incredible for you. Look at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel? Since I am a virgin. In other words, she's saying this is, this is totally impossible. This is beyond impossible. It's absurd. It's physically preposterous that this could happen. Angel. Angel. <laughs> it, would be, I, I, it wouldn't be the same, but it might be like God coming to me and saying, Barry, you're going to go golfing tomorrow and you're going to shoot three under par. I'm a double bogey golfer on my best day. That means I shoot two over every hole. Mary's a virgin. Virgins don't give birth to babies. That's just not possible. There's going to be a time for you as Christ followers where God will interrupt you with an invitation, and you're going to look at that and say, that's impossible. That can't work. Listen now. God, you're asking me to forgive someone after what they've done to me? That's unrealistic. God, you're asking me to be generous and tithe when, when I really don't have hardly anything now and I'm having trouble getting by. That doesn't seem feasible. God, you want my marriage healed after all we've been through? There's no way, there's no way that we could have a good marriage again. At best, we'll be roommates. God, how in the world could you ever reconcile the relationship with one of my children? After what they said and after what I did, that relationship's done forever. That's what we see with Mary. She, she looks at this angel and says, this is impossible. There's just no way. Verse 35, the angel answered, 
the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. You're right, Mary. It is impossible with mankind. This is, it's unfeasible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. We fear because we're putting our trust in someone or something else. Mary was in the middle of that. I'm not sure why you're here this morning, but I'm positive that you need to know nothing is impossible with God. It may seem impossible. It may not seem plausible. It may defy odds, but whatever you're facing, the solution is not impossible with God. One word from him, and it can, it can all take care of itself. But you don't see a way for that to happen. That's okay. I'm sure Mary didn't see a way that this was going to happen either. This had never happened before. She didn't have an example to look at. But the angel said, it can happen with God. So if not now, there's going to come a time when God interrupts you. And you won't like it. And you're going to think you don't have what it takes. You're, you're going to think that it could never work out right. And all I'm saying is that God may be inviting you to something better. You just got to remember without faith, it's impossible to please God. But it's fear that keeps us from that. And fear is there because we're putting our trust in someone or something other than God. What is God asking you to do or believe? If you're already a believer in Christ, I'm positive that God wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. He wants to lead you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to shape you. He wants into a preferred future. I just know that for you. And I know that for me. But what is he asking you to do? Some of you right now, you know right away. You know right away what God is asking you to do. And you're resisting him. For others, um, you, you may take a few hours, it may take a, a couple days, a couple weeks or whatever, but I think if you pray, God, what do you have next for me? He'll direct you. He'll direct you very clearly. And then you'll probably resist him. He may, he may want you to step up in your small group. He may want you to start a small group. He may want you to start leading a ministry. He may want you to start a ministry. He may be asking you to share your story, your salvation story with a friend that you know doesn't want to hear it, but God is telling you they need to hear it. And you might have to even risk your reputation with that friend. Mary is certainly risking her reputation in this thing. For some, it may be to forgive. Here's, here's what I want you to get, man. If, if God is asking you to take a step of faith, I put it up on the screen here. The outcome is God's responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. The obedience is on you. The outcome is on God. Listen, you figure out what's supposed to happen. You figure out where it's supposed to happen, when it's supposed to happen, all that stuff. And then God comes in and takes care of the outcome. That's his responsibility. So give yourself a break, folks. 
Give yourself a break. The obedience doesn't mean you have to fix the whole world's problems. Stop trying to control every aspect of your life. And just when he leads you with an invitation, you just obey. You fear because you're putting your trust in someone or something other than God. That's not on you. So where do you start? Where do we start in all of this? We start today with baby steps. You just obey and you start today. Stop fearing what God is wanting you to do and just do it. Let the financial outcomes take care of themselves. Let the relational outcomes be on God's shoulders. Let your pride down and just obey. The obedience is yours. The outcomes, that's on God. You just surrender yourself to him like a teenage girl did some 2,000 years ago, being a virgin, having a child. When it didn't make sense, when it put her at risk, even death, when her reputation was sure to be tarnished, no question, when it all seemed more than impossible, and it was, but not with God. Who are you putting your trust in? Who are you putting your hope in? How did Mary respond? Verse 38, get this, get this. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, be fu- May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In other words, before Mary does anything, she reminds herself whose she is. She's God's. And he's got this. Say that with me. God's got this. Ready? One, two, three. God's got this. Now say it like you mean it. God's got this. That's, that's, a, that's three words that you can say the rest of this week, and you're going to have a Merry Christmas. God's got this. It's his, it's his deal. The outcomes are his deal. He's just looking for obedient servants of his, just like Mary. I'm sure you believe that, but what's holding you back from fully obeying God? What are you going to do to overcome that barrier? Stop trusting in someone or something other than God. When we grab a hold of this type of obedience, when we grab a hold of this type of trust together, the world is going to be a better place and so will you. So we're in the Gulf of Mexico. The only boat that's out there that day on a weekday is now motoring off. And I'm thinking we got one last chance to whistle or scream, or wave, or do something. They're pretty far off, but we might have a chance. And he says, let's pray. So we pray, and he says, amen. And he seems so calm, even after that lame prayer. I'm like, and he goes, so why don't you give it a try? (laughs) This is stupid. I'm just being honest. Look, I could give you a bunch of religious garbage, or I could tell you the truth. And so I reached down knowing, I know my boat, it's not going to start. So I reached down knowing I'm going to hear click, click. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't breathe. And he goes, let's go. <laughs> no, we're not going. That, could, that can't happen. That can't happen. What just happened? And the boat's, we're just, it's just cruising. I mean, we're not going yet, but it's running and we're just sitting there floating. And I'm going, and he's just smiling like, 
No big deal. No big deal. This is a huge deal. And I don't care what you say. I don't care if you've been around a boat before. I don't care if some of you have had your boat. I don't care what you say. I knew my boat. God started my boat. God started my boat. We're clapping for him, not me. I didn't believe he was going to do it. My, I finally caught my breath. And, and my, my youth pastor, he, he was just being obedient. God asked him to, a ridiculous thing to do and just to pray for the boat. And, and, not, and not even a good prayer, just a lame prayer. So simple. God just, just start the boat. And he did. He obeyed. The outcome the outcome was on God. The outcome of starting a dead battery, that was on God. That wasn't the youth pastor. He knew he couldn't do nothing. He knew he wouldn't jump nothing. He knew his place. His, his place was to obey the leading, the invitation that was certainly inconvenient with a new believer and to put that much pressure on God. Like that's pressure on God. That was 30 years ago, and I remember like it was yesterday. God interrupted my plans with a possible life-threatening dead battery. Because listen, I mean, it's the Gulf of Mexico. And if that storm hits and we, we're, ain't nobody else out there. He had something better in mind, his glory, his outcome. Stop fearing what God wants us to do. And be like Mary and just obey. It's a side note. That youth pastor... He did stuff like that all the time. And I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share. I just, I just think somebody needs to hear this. And I'm not being all, oh, God has a word for you. And, nah, I'm not that kind of guy. But I guess I am. I'm just a little more subtle about it. <laughs> that was bad. It's true, though. So when I was rededicating my life, I was really far from God. I mean, I gave my life to Christ, and he had his hand on me all that time when I was young and and. And I was, a, I was a womanizing, just, I was a good guy, but I was a bad guy, bad guy. And I rededicated my life. And God started picking off, I, like every sin possible I, I was doing. And he started picking them off one by one. And, and one of the things was sleeping around. And I had a girlfriend and, and I was committed to her. And God just very clearly told me, you're never going to sleep with her again. And you're not going to ever have sex until you get married again. That's not cool. <laughs> so I went to my youth pastor, the same lame prayer. And I said, dude, you got to figure out a way out of this for me. <laughs> and I said, I'm just being honest. And I said, I love her. I think she's the one, but God said, I'm not supposed to. Well, and so he sat there. He sat there and he goes, well, if you're sinning, man, you better stop sinning. That was it. There's no Bible verse. There was no, you know, sexual uh, teachings that he went through and how terrible this is and what it's going to do to my body and my brain and how it's going to ruin my future marriage and all this if you're sinning, man, you better stop sinning. And that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I never had sex again until I got married. Maybe that's what, maybe, maybe all this other stuff isn't what you're supposed to hear today. Maybe it's just something simple like that. 
And he said that not to ruin my party, although he did for a moment. (laughs) He said that because he loved me and I was seeking God, but this was an interruption for sure. But it was an invitation to something better, something bigger, to something more beautiful, to something more intimate that I never would have dreamed on my own because I thought I had the good stuff. And it was cheap. God has something so much better. What's that for you? And will you obey? Just like Mary did 2,000 years ago. Leave the outcomes to God. You just do what he asks you to do. Let's pray. Father, What, what are you leading us to do or believe? And help us to take that next step. We really do believe that your interruptions can be invitations, but sometimes they're so inconvenient. Your plans, purposes are different than our plans. Help us to, like Mary, remember whose we are. Surrender to you as, as true servants, but not serving our own desires, our own plans, our own goals, but wanting to do what you created us to do and accomplish things for your glory and for your name. If there's somebody here that's never given their life to you through your son, Jesus, I pray that today that they will have supernaturally inside of them that they would have met you and you're asking them to repent and to turn, just to stop sinning, just to, to turn from their old ways and to follow you and trust you and just be obedient and leave the outcomes to you. I pray that somebody here today, there may be a few that need to make that decision, that they're one step closer and they'll finally just trust you because you're a good God and you love us and you have our best interests in mind. That's faith. Help them to put their faith in you. For the rest of us, help us to obey. And look at these invitations, not inconveniences. In Jesus' name, amen.